This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. Welcome back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm Corey Wright. And I'm your sometimes co-host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I can tell the real estate market is back. You walked in today looking like you walked out of a Harry Rosen window, all <laughs> dressed to the nines. Sweatpants are gone. Lululemon, the market is back. The market is back. It's it's busy out there. Yeah. It's, you know, this has been going on for the last couple months now, but back to the Monday, Tuesdays offer days. So it just yeah. becomes... You know, the weekend is busy and then it's like, all right, the the Monday, Tuesday, it's it's an explosion of activity. So I'm glad to be back. That's I'm good. I'm glad to be back on the show and I'm glad to be dressed up. It it feels good. Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> so who do we got on the show today, so Corey? So today we have Rod McKay from our Vancouver office. Some of our listeners might remember him. We had him earlier on in the year. When we went through the top five markets that we predict. We predicted for the podcast, which we thought potentially would be your best markets to invest in this year. We have Rod coming back to do kind of like a recap on the first four or five months, see how we fared with our markets that we picked, and also what asset classes are winners and what asset classes are losers so far, which you'll find there's not very many losers, which is surprising some people, but uh, we have them back today. We're going to recap the first four or five months of the year and also give our predictions of what the last half of this year will look like and 2024. We have a different crystal ball than most. Ours is 110% accurate at all times. So we'll be very interested to see if we pull that out today or not. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. It's funny doing this show and then listening and watching uh, when when somebody else is sitting in my chair today. But all the stuff out of the U.S. about commercial real estate, yeah. and I guess it's primarily office, but there's just such a, a negativity that just doesn't come across the border. As well, as I, I think we're different. We, we operate different up here. We have different rules, different, you know, if you look at things too, like if you look at a lot of the major REITs that may own assets in both North America, they tend to sell a lot of their assets in the States a lot quicker than they do up here, right? Which oh, is a good indication of the marketplace. And you read a lot of these, you know, major corporations that are, that are defaulting on interest payments mm-hmm. on office portfolios. And obviously it grabs the media headlines, but you'd like to think, and maybe this is just my guess, that there's more of a strategic play here. Because at the end of the day, I think some of these companies are just taunting the banks, like, do you want them? Right. Right? So it gives them the ability potentially to kind of like almost restructure right. potentially some of the debts that they do have on there. No no questions asked. The market, uh, the office market down south has been impacted a lot greater than, say, some of the office markets we have up here, Vancouver Obviously, vacancy is higher now than it was pre-pandemic, but a balanced market is probably considered 7-8%, so we're not too far off. We also are landlocked with with the downtown marketplace. Um, so we have, we have all that versus, say, a marketplace like, say, like Alberta, where you can continue to build, or some of the right. parts in the states you can continue to build. So I would read the headlines with a grain of salt, and I think if we fast-forward six months to a year from now, we can sort of see maybe there's a strategic play 
somewhere behind the lines there that it's like, hey, if you want them, you can have them, Mr. Bank. And the bank's like, well, let's talk about your debt. So right, we'll right. see what happens. This is That's interesting. So it's it's a, it's a hardball play. That's it, what's going it, on. It could be. Now, I think some markets that are very challenged, like San Francisco, that's almost a copy and repeat. I think you're going to kind of see what happened in Calgary, where Calgary was so divested heavily into one industry, being oil and gas. San Francisco primarily was law tech, yeah. right? So they they may have a challenging time there. Coming out of that, they're going to have to reinvent themselves, even try to diversify a lot of these office portfolio companies will have to diversify the tenant mixes they have. So uh, definitely some challenges ahead. I don't think we have those same challenges in the Canadian major markets as you see down south right now. Fantastic. Well, maybe we'll save the rest of this conversation, Corey, for uh, our talk with Rod McKay. Anything else before we uh, we get to it? You fall off your peloton lately or anything? Uh, no, but actually, I can I can tell you right now, mainly because my this is this is this is going to kind of paint the picture heading into the springtime here. So you know how in your closet you have fat pants, like you know, kind of like these are my pants I wear when I'm I'm in shape, and then you have the fat pants you just yeah. don't get rid of in case you kind of get to there. Yeah. So my fat pants are now just my pants. So that's not a good sign coming into springtime and my bikini season here. Sun's out, guns out. Sun's out, guns out, yeah. So my bikini season's right around the corner and my fat pants are officially just my pants now. So I don't know how well the Peloton's working and that one left uh, pedal that causes me all the problems starting to wobble again. So I don't know if that's because I've just gained too much weight over the fall season, but time will tell. Like just like the American real estate market, time will tell where we're at six months to a year from now. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, maybe we'll leave it there and cut to our talk with Rod McKay. <laughs> Enjoy, guys. This podcast is presented by Impact Commercial. Impact Commercial. John Allen, the team over there are fantastic. They've been, all been on the show. They have, yeah. Friends of the show. Great guys. Wealth of experience. They can help with all your commercial financing needs. Whether it's owner-occupiers, land development funds, commercial investments, or multifamily, these guys got you covered. And they recently obtained their CMHC correspondent lender status. So for all your commercial lending needs, visit them at impactcommercial.ca. That's impactcommercial.ca. All right, so we're here today with Rod McKay from William Wright Vancouver, Vancouver's office. Rod, how are you doing today? Doing very well, thanks, Corey. Rod, you are a past guest. And I'd say fan favorite. Fan favorite. And, In fact, yeah. can I break the news? Yeah, go, go, go. Rod, we we follow what performs both on the show and on our website. And I believe at, you know, your downloads are phenomenal for your five best investments in British Columbia. But you're, I think, the number one performing page on the VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com in terms of visitors. So... Uh, so that's why I'll so we'll make you famous. Our ratings are down. Well, we need to bring you back on. <laughs> Confidence is up going into this podcast. So I appreciate that, guys. Rod, for those listeners who haven't heard your record setting previous episodes, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? And yeah, focus, focus so, on the marathon a little bit? Oh, yeah, we could talk about that a little bit. So, yeah, just quickly, uh, yeah, born and raised in Vancouver. So, I've lived here my entire life. Uh, my father actually uh, has had his own real estate brokerage for the past 40 years or so. So that was, you know, largely a, one of the bigger influences into why I got into real estate myself and been with William Wright Commercial for the past five years. And uh, it's been an amazing journey. And I will say when, when Rod first applied, we had to dive deep into the application there, not knowing if Rod McKay Sr. was planting a mole in the company. 
Right. But I can yeah. say with confidence, Mr. McKay did not plan to mold the company. He's been a great supporter of us and Rod the whole time. So we really appreciate it. And, and so, Rod, I didn't realize you grew up in a real estate family. Yeah. Yeah, Rod. Well, it's actually, I've got the same name, Rod, Roderick McKay. I'm actually Roderick McKay the third. So my dad's also Roderick McKay. He goes by Rod McKay and I more or less do too. So it kind of gets a little confusing sometimes. People are reaching out on his listings to me and vice versa. But uh, I mean, I think it's probably good for business all around. And, and just so everyone knows, when someone calls off his dad's listing, assuming it's him, Rod would never take that list, <laughs> never take that inquiry and go sell them one of his listings. Well, just so we know. Well, well, I, 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 you know, he's pretty generous, so I don't have to. He passes a lot of stuff my way, fortunately enough. But uh, yeah, outside of work, yeah, I like to stay active, uh, golfing, maybe playing softball every now and then, hiking. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, running, which isn't, uh, I don't know if I like it that much, but it's a good challenge. And ended up doing the uh, full marathon, the BMO Vancouver Marathon yesterday, which was my first marathon. I uh, did it with my girlfriend. And yeah, it was actually a lot of fun. How did you find it? It was uh, it was good. The conditions were perfect. It wasn't uh, wasn't too hot. It wasn't too cold. We didn't get rained on. I actually did the half last year, and we were delayed for about an hour and a half. People thought there was a suspicious package on the race course, so that was kind of my first experience into the marathon world. So that was that was pretty uh, that was pretty annoying. But this year, everything smooth sailing. Ended up under four hours, which was my goal. So wow. uh, fin- finished really strong. My last split was uh, my fastest by far. So. I was Pretty much sprinting, and I had a really good uh, cheering crowd. Uh, my girlfriend Carol's dad is in from Toronto, uh, and he's done a number of marathons. And then my parents and my aunt uh, kind of drove around and cheered us along the way, as well as uh, aunt, uncle, and cousins. So yeah, we had lots of support along the way. And then there was the uh, expo on Saturday, where you kind of pick up your race bib and everything. And I was I was in line, kind of where you take your picture, kind of with your bib. Everybody lines up to get it taken. And, there was this gentleman behind me in line and his uh, his young kids didn't seem too keen on him waiting in line to take a photo. And they're asking him, why do you take a photo? And he said, well, it's for the memories. And so I said to him, do you want to go in front of us? Uh, yeah, it sounds it sounds like you need to go here. He's like, oh, that would be great. And then he goes, are, are you uh, are you Rod McKay? I was like, yeah. He's like, Jonathan Ma. I was like, oh, no way. So we've actually talked over the phone and he's an avid listener of the podcast and actually a client of William Wright's. But uh, yeah, he recognized... Uh, recognize the voice and then yeah so good to see a, a listener of the podcast and the client uh shout out to jonathan ma yeah shout out to john ma friend of the friend of both shows um yes yeah i know he ran the marathon as well he was under four hours as well so it's a small world <laughs> that's right so rod one reason why we wanted to have you on again today is is we had you on earlier in the year we sort of we sort of pick our top five markets every year and you're gracious enough to spend your time and kind of outline that we're sitting here, what are we, uh, first week of May, May 8th. almost May, May 8th, almost getting to the middle of May here now, approaching that halfway point soon. We wanted to check in with you and sort of say, how has the commercial real estate market been so far this year, winners and losers? And also, where do you think the real estate market's going for the latter half of this year and into 2024? So we thought we'd give you as much runway as you need to kind of break that down. So maybe let's talk about what are the high points, and we're not talking about interest rates, what are the high points so far? <laughs> maybe the first half of this year in commercial real estate that may have caught some people off guard? Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, I, I don't know how you can't talk about interest rates. I mean, I think that's kind of the the number one thing that's uh, that's been in, been on everyone's mind. And obviously, kind of as we uh, finished up 2022, uh, you know, on the investment side of things, we did see uh, a lot of slowing in activity due to the high interest rates. And people were just kind of waiting and seeing. 
Now that uh, we fast forward to today and we've seen the Bank of Canada rate hold, uh, I think that's generated a lot of optimism in the market. And we, we kind of expected that if that did happen, there would be a lot of optimism. Now now we're finally seeing it. Uh, as I mentioned to you guys before this call, I just sitting outside of a retail uh, unit that I had listed for sale. Still have listed for sale, but it's under contract. I think we got it under contract in the first two weeks uh, with multiple offers. Uh, I think over 15%, we're under contract over 15% above the assessed value. So um, that's a retail unit here in Vancouver. So I think we're seeing a lot more optimism sort of in the beginning of 2023 uh, from what I saw was, you know, we were busy, but, uh, you know, working with clients, there was a lot of education and kind of uh, figuring out what their goals and plans were. But but uh, people certainly weren't pulling the trigger uh, the way that they were uh, when interest rates were next to nothing. Now that uh, we've seen the rate hold, people kind of, they can at least kind of see that for the foreseeable future, uh, where things are going to be. And we're seeing uh, activity pick up quite a bit, even just in the last month or so. So maybe stepping back on the on the residential side, what we've seen this year is is get demand come back into the market, but inventory remain at kind of historic lows. What does inventory look like in, I guess, Vancouver and, and more generally uh, across the commercial landscape? Yeah, definitely. So we can kind of, you know, talk about it broadly and we can also just jump into uh, each asset class as well so broadly i mean it, inventory seems quite low you know especially if you look at uh, at land which where we've seen a dramatic drop in volume and sales uh, just because of it's it's challenging for developers to to get the lending with the with the rates where they are as far as uh, various asset classes where we are for inventory if you look at uh, the industrial asset class which we talk about a lot how strong it's been performing, and it's continued to do so. Uh, it's probably taken a bit bit of a step back from where it was, just based on activity slowing across the marketplace. But it's still very strong. Inventories uh, low with the interest rates being higher. You're seeing a lot of businesses, uh, you know, switch to leasing and where they might have been buyers before. Still seeing a lease rates sorry in the industrial asset class creep up, and the uh, the vacancy rates are very low. If you look at office in Vancouver, I think we're hovering just below 10% for vacancy rate. Uh, it seems pretty high because I think we were sub three prior to COVID, but uh, it's actually, from what I'm reading, it's still the lowest in North America. So, you know, even though 10% seems quite high, uh, it's not all that bad relative to, uh, to the rest of the country and also our neighbors down south. And a lot of, you know, the Obviously, COVID and the way that the workplace is changing uh, had a bit, big impact on the office market here in Vancouver. But as I mentioned, prior to COVID, we were sub 3% vacancy rate, which meant that uh, developers were very bullish and there was a massive amount of inventory being built. And we're kind of at the end of that supply cycle where most of it's being built and it's just taking a little bit longer for it to get absorbed. But that's, you know, we were in a market where it was extremely tight. And obviously, with COVID, that's changed things a bit. We haven't really seen office lease rates come off terribly much because that's the natural thing. People think, oh, vacancies up, cheap, cheap deals. Um, we haven't really seen the numbers come off too much, but the incentives put forward by landlords have increased. So they're kind of holding out to get their numbers, but they're having to offer more to get those numbers, whether it be free rent or fixturing or TI, to get them in. And it'll be interesting to see how things shake out because Rod did mention there that we're kind of coming to the end of a, a construction supply cycle now where there's a lot of inventory that's sort of coming available that's been under construction and will continue to come available over the next 12 months. 
once that gets absorbed, the in, the vacancy rate should start to come back down, which keeping in mind, a balanced market would be considered probably 7 or 8%. So we're just over a balanced market, and we were in a very unhealthy market for tenants. Great market for landlords. They could throw a number up and people would pay it. Very unhealthy for tenants, both on renewals and also trying to get into the office market. So I think you flush out the next 12 to 24 months, we'll look back on this and things will be right back into a much tighter office market as we get a lot of new tenants that will change space. Inventory will get absorbed and pricing will probably hopefully, most likely probably hold itself, I would think. But the incentives are definitely have to be up. Yeah, the, the incentives are are very high up. And I was actually, I've, I've heard some crazy numbers that I was actually about to cite, but then I realized uh, that I've got some listings where uh, yeah, I probably shouldn't talk about how high the incentives are because I got to uh, take care of my landlords as well. But uh, yeah, definitely a lot of inducements being offered and especially for shell space. You know, since there is so much inventory on the market, if you're, let's say, a law office and uh, you, you want a, a new office, chances are there's product out there that you could just move in turnkey that's fully built out with the exact amount of offices you need, a kitchenette, all that. So the shell space uh, where you're going to have to do full build out, go through the permits, you know, it could be six months to a year down the road till you move in. And that's, that's where you really need to offer these inducements in order to get uh, these tenants taking up that shell space. Okay. So uh, we've talked about, so industrial, as I understand, which was kind of the darling for the last couple of years is kind of come off those highs, which, you know, nothing lasts forever. That was a, such a crazy market office. Uh, we've seen a, a the vacancy rate creep up. It sounds like land, like bare land for development is is also slower, as I understand, Rod, because the numbers just don't pencil. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And and I guess retail. Did you cover retail? I, I'm... We ha- yeah, we haven't gone into retail. So uh, retail has actually made a huge comeback in 2022. It's, uh, it's actually looking quite strong. I mean, I think coming out of COVID, Everyone just kind of wondered what was going to happen to retail. We saw a big shift uh, sort of to, towards industrial warehousing with uh, the e-commerce boom and less people going to stores. Uh, obviously, as COVID was going on, you know, a lot of people would rather do their shopping online. And so the thought, you know, some people were were worried that uh, people weren't going to go into stores anymore. But, you know, that doesn't seem to be true. There's uh, pretty low vacancy rates, especially for good product. Uh, they seem to be absorbing uh quite well, even if you just kind of see the signs up and then you, it's, uh, seems like retailers are taking them over and opening up uh, pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, I'd say retail, uh, is a bit of a surprising one. That's, that's looking stronger than expected, but Corey, maybe I'll let you uh, touch on that one a little bit too. I know you're an avid retail investor yourself. Well, I think when you look at the retail market too, obviously it goes through highs and lows. And this is one thing I think everyone has to remember right now. So when people are selling land in most cases, the highest price to fetch for land is usually from sort of like a strata condo development market is where you're seeing the biggest numbers. Now, in some of those similar zonings is uh, components where um, you could put offices or mixed-use buildings. And the problem is a lot of times the numbers don't pencil for that. So I think when we fast forward five or six years down the road and you have record-setting immigration numbers coming in year over year over year, most of the land that's out there is eventually going to have to get turned into rental product or to strata condo product to try to just slowly maintain pace with what we're already falling behind with year over year over year. As that happens, a lot of new OCPs will get developed and a lot of areas that develop from OCPs are like older industrial areas where you might have a 20 or 30,000 square foot yard, maybe a 3,000 square foot building, a whole bunch of trucks parked, employs three people. You can pop up 300 homes on that nowadays. 
So I think as you go forward, every asset class, whether it be office in Vancouver, which I think is challenged just based on the the boundaries and everything, all the challenges we have there, um, whether it be industrial product, or even even if you look at the retail market standpoint, some of the secondary and tertiary markets, is you're going to have the land's going to get absorbed for the best, highest use, which in most cases is going to be residential development in some form. No one's buying land downtown and I was like, hey, let's go put up an office tower. Mm-hmm. Like those conversations aren't happening. But what is happening is when people are buying land to build homes in downtown Nanaimo, more people are showing up. Well, the more people that show up, people have to work somewhere. So now, again, if you have six office buildings in downtown Nanaimo, as an example, and you fast forward 10 years and you add another 20,000 people to Nanaimo, which is adding 20% of their population, 2.5% growth over 10 years, well, guess how many office towers you have downtown Nanaimo still? Six, right? So no one's like, hey, let's go buy land and build office towers. Same thing's happening in downtown Vancouver. Right, like after a lot of these office buildings, they're all getting built. There's not really a whole lot of land left that you can really build any more office buildings. Yet more and more people are going to come to the Greater Vancouver area, going to work in downtown. Naturally, that vacancy rate will slowly start to peter off because you don't have any more land to build. And same with industrial land in a lot of these areas. If some of these industrial lands turn into OCPs, OCPs get turned out. Official community yeah. plans for official for community plans, and then people start developing that. And guess what? People still need industrial space, but now there's less industrial space to pick from. Right. So naturally, the vacancy rate is going to go down. Prices will go up. And that's almost repetitive in almost every major BC market, whether it be Victoria, Nanaimo, Kamloops, or Kelowna, or Vancouver, Vancouver, or the Fraser Valley. All six of those markets are landlocked in some capacity. One thing that strikes me, and I don't know if we've ever talked about it as explicitly, it seems like a fairly obvious point, but I don't think we've ever talked about the housing crisis creep into the commercial landscape yeah. and how there's that direct correlation right across the province. It has major effect, right? Because if you look at something like Victoria, and again, I'm going to botch these numbers. So like these are completely inaccurate, but I think I read a report <laughs> last year, they were like 70,000 homes behind pace. And every year that number was growing at an average of almost 9%. Mm-hmm. So if they delivered 70,000 homes this year, which is physically impossible, they would then be 9% behind what that next year's forecast is. And of the 70,000 homes, they're probably delivering maybe what? 1,000 homes is my guess. I don't know. I'm completely guessing at this point, but say 5,000 homes. Yeah. Right? You're still 65,000 behind last year's pace plus 9% that's compounding on itself. Mm-hmm. And when you look at that, all the land that's going to come available, the city's going to say, okay, well, how can we take that old industrial area, say like a, like a Harris Green district, which you had old industrial and car lots and all that stuff. And how can we put like 5,000 homes? And these are the areas that are, are going away. Well, guess what? The Mazda dealership's got to go somewhere. All these industrial places got to go somewhere, but now you have less land to play with. Mm-hmm. And that will sort of repeat itself over and over and over again. And here's the biggest wow factor. It's an island, right? There's no more land, right? right? So you're going to get to the point where it's all going to eventually turn into housing or try to turn into housing at some point. And all these commercial places are going to have to go somewhere. And, and they're going to have to eventually find a new home, but there'll be less land to pick from. So naturally, you're going to watch vacancy rates fall, prices go up with it. You just got to be strategic in what you're buying and when you're buying. Like, you know, you buy today in a bad area and hold, crossing your fingers, it's going to be really good in 20 years. That's a pretty good bet. It probably will be really good in 20 years, but you have to make it to 20 years. <laughs> you got to carry it for the first so, time. So there's so many things like there in all these markets that you're going to have fluctuations in asset classes. You're going to have fluctuations in vacancy in asset classes and prices in asset classes. But the problem is there's not really enough land to kind of probably properly service the demand and needs over the next 20 to 40 years, both on the commercial side and the housing side. And the housing side is going to take precedence because that's where people have to live. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, that's that's a pretty good segue, I guess, into uh, the next asset class. We've talked about office, uh, industrial, and retail. Let's uh, let's hop into multifamily, where where people live. It's um, you know, it seems to be a really really steady investment. People seek it out just because people need a roof over their heads. Vacancy rates are extremely low across pretty much all the markets that we work in. Uh, I touched on the fact that you know to purchase land uh, it's very challenging bringing sellers expectations to where the buyers can afford it uh, when they're looking to develop a site i know we were kind of we were looking at a couple sites in coquitlam and it was actually a multifamily built older multifamily building we were looking to assemble with a few other single family residential lots adjacent to it and uh, the numbers worked out okay for the single family residential but uh, on a price per buildable square foot the numbers came in below assessed value for the multifamily property and it was actually a real estate investment trust that owned this building. And, you know, they're just not going to look at offers below assessed value. Uh, whether or not the assessed value has that much impact on what a commercial building's worth, uh, there's a bit of correlation. The problem is inventory is very low. Vacancies are very low. And, and we're, not, we're not seeing enough product coming to market. As a result of that, though, the multifamily rents are just shooting up. I mean, it's, uh, I, I've seen a bunch of different reports. Um, you guys might have better numbers, but I, I anywhere between sort of twenty to thirty percent increase, I think, even in Vancouver over the past year, uh, and I've seen a lot of anecdotal evidence of that uh, just mm-hmm. from talking to people, you know, just that have moved or are in the rental market uh, where they, you know, moved in a year ago and where it's at today. It's it's been skyrocketing. The problem is we're not incentivizing the developers enough, you know, on a municipal, provincial, and uh, probably federal level to build especially in the markets when, you know, you're sitting on, if you're buying uh, a few single family lots and you're holding the land for a couple of years and it's not really producing any income. Meanwhile, you're getting hammered by the interest rates and then all the, all the fees that you have to pay to the municipalities. It's, it's hard to make it make sense right now. So with less and less inventory coming to the market, uh, these, this multifamily asset class is seen as extremely secure to investors. And it's the asset class where, you know, with office, retail and industrial, you can get the owner occupiers with multifamily. You're really just getting investors, people that are looking to get a return on their dollar. And essentially, the cap rates that they're getting for multifamily are typically lower than any other asset class, just because it's seen as so stable. And uh, from what I see, it's the investors from the multifamily asset class usually have more of a long-term vision mindset than than maybe some of the others. Well, I, I've got the solution to the rental problem. Oh, I'm glad I showed <laughs> up. Well, this is going to be a whole other podcast, but I'll tell you how you solve the rental problem. You take away rental restrictions. And if you do that right now, uh, no renter wants to hear that. And I'm not saying that kind of like, like in a derogatory way towards renters. But what's going to happen is you're going to then take those restrictions away. And now more and more developers and REITs and all of that stuff will look into that asset class to create housing. Seattle's a great example, right? Housing is plentiful now in Seattle because there's no rental restrictions. The problem with that is you're going to create three, four, or five years of havoc for renters because landlords will just be like, well, I don't know. How about you pay 5000 Right. Right? And it's going to create a challenge for renters. And that cycle to get the new inventory to market, to actually start to like increase inventory and lower the rental rates, is going to be outside of that four-year political cycle. So no politician is going to get in and say, hey, rental rates, rental restrictions are gone. That person will not survive the next election because the rates are going to go up so much. It takes time to get that supply. 
How you backstop that is you create incentive programs from the government, federal and provincial level, that's going to put enough money or breaks into that thing to kind of offset that for developers to start getting that supplied to the marketplace. Fast forward 10 years, now you've increased supply and you're probably still falling behind population growth, but you've increased supply enough that maybe you then can consider removing those rental restrictions. So you almost got to take, you know, pick your poison. Either I'm going to remove rental restrictions and get my my butt kicked out of politics after because the rent rates are going to go up. But fast forward 10 years, there'll be much more supply and you actually start to hopefully see numbers come off. Or I I go into the coffers and I take money out and I incentivize developers so much they can't say no to get supply to the market that we can then do that. Because it's a supply and demand game and always will be. And when you look at record-setting immigration rates or immigration numbers coming into the province where a lot of those people are going to stay in the greater uh, Vancouver area or the lower mainland, you mean that's your problem. And you can't blame people for wanting to live in Vancouver. Like, Like, with all due respect, if you go to your hometown, Winnipeg, right? Nothing wrong with Winnipeg. But if you go to Winnipeg or you come back to Vancouver, you're like, oh, I'm glad I'm home in Vancouver. It's it's beautiful. <laughs> it's gorgeous, right? And during COVID, you had to get locked down. Is there a better place in the world to get locked down than BC? Oh, great. I'm locked down in BC. Great. I'll go to Tofino for the weekend. I'll go to Victoria. I'll go skiing at Whistler. I'll drive it to Kelowna, have some wine. Like, could you get locked down in a better province, right? <laughs> so you can't blame people for wanting to come here. Right. So, I mean, this is a whole other podcast and it's obviously not a, you know, you know, these things won't happen probably for the foreseeable future, but that's how you start to solve this stuff. That coupled with Gerard's comment, holding land for so long is one of the hardest parts of being a developer. You got to expedite that. So create a program where potentially you've got, Hey, strata condo development program, a commercial development program, B and rental product program, C and program C is just going to be the fastest one to get through to help minimize some of those costs to get more product to the market. Because the reality is, if you go back to a young family and say, I'm going to give you a million dollars, where do you want to live? In 1995, they would be on the Street of Dreams in Westwood Plateau. You give them a million dollars now, they're like, man, I really hope I can get a townhouse in Abbotsford. <laughs> and they're not buying into this market because they necessarily want to. They're buying in because they have that's what they can afford. And the progression is going to be you leave mom and dad's house, you probably rent, and then you rent again, and then you rent again, maybe, and then you buy a condo, and then you buy a two-bedroom condo, then you buy a townhouse, and you're 40, you get a house. Like, that's going to probably be the natural progression for a lot of people, just with how unaffordable the reality is. Mm-hmm. So instead of sitting here and blinding ourselves, like, how can we fix affordability? Let's not worry about affordability. Let's get product to the market so people can live in houses and not have to pay $3,000 for a condo rental. So that way, they can save money to be able to afford a house at some point. Whole different podcast. You, you heard yeah, it here first. Yeah. Premier well, Corey Wright. Well, it's, I mean, that's the challenge though, is, uh, you know, it's not a very popular campaign to run telling, uh, you know, all the renters that, uh, that we're going to raise rents to unlimited, unlimited levels and landlords have full control. But, you know, if you actually look at the bigger picture, that, that can be actually what, what helps solve the problem. Yeah. But, you know, you have to do some digging to actually figure that out. And then in, in the short term, does it help people? Maybe not. So it's, it's it's a challenging one. I think uh, you know if there was a super easy fix, that would happen right away. Maybe it would have been done. But um, yeah, like I said, not not a super uh, attractive campaign policy. Well, the other challenge you have coming out of COVID or coming out of like the the COVID era with all the inflation on the landlord side of things, you've got because I mean, you're getting you're collecting gross rents on the commercial side. You've got increasing property taxes. You know, municipalities' budgets are going up. That's a property tax increase, right? You got garbage. 
water, recycling. All of these costs are going up and up and up and up. Where landlords are eventually going to get to the point where like, okay, my rent's going to go up on average, let's say 4.5%, 2% on the ones that stay, 8% on the ones that leave. But my costs are going to go up 8 to 12%. And I'm getting hammered on the interest rate side. Oh, yeah. And my roof just went. That's another 400 grand I got to invest that I can't recapture that cost in the immediate future. Why do I want to invest in this asset class? Mm-hmm. And that's going to be challenges. There's, there's no right or wrong answer because there's a good debate on both sides. But the only answer is you got to get supply to market. and You got to incentivize developers to do it because they're paying too much for land because the guy that sounds the land says, I don't care what you put on this land. You can put a tent for all I care. You're going to pay the highest and best price for the land, which unfortunately computes to usually condo development, not rental product. Right. So we've, uh, yeah, we've talked about uh, pretty much all the asset classes. We've gone over office, retail, industrial, multifamily, and we touched on land a bit. Maybe if we talk a little bit more broadly about uh, uh, where the market's been and where we see it going, I think a big challenge sort of on the brokerage side of things that we were seeing before was, you know, seller's expectations were extremely high. Anytime uh, you have interest rates drop as low as they do, you're going to see the the pricing come up quite a bit. So if you see your neighbor sell at, uh, let's say, $2 million, you know, when I was assessed at a $1 million, and now the markets come off and people are offering you $1.4 million. Well, you're saying, no, it's worth $2 million. My, my neighbor sold, uh, sold for that eight months ago. The problem is that we're in a different market and uh, the amount of people that can afford that $2 million for the same product versus the $1.4 million is, has decreased fairly substantially. Now, that was sort of end of 2022, beginning of this year. Uh, as we kind of, end, this time of year too, as we come into spring, it always seems to pick up sort of, except for March of 2020, uh, things weren't picking up. But uh, <laughs> things, th- things tend to pick up uh, in the springtime anyway. And as we see, interest rates hold and more certainty in the future. Buyers are coming back to the market. Having said that, I think that you know sellers are going to have to get a little bit more realistic. Uh, and and pricing's probably, you know, and overall might come off a little bit because uh, we certainly hit a peak uh, back in 2021. And I think from there, uh, pricing's overall probably has to come a bit down, but that's a pretty big blanket statement. And um, yeah. Fantastic. So Rod, what is the the most surprising asset class retail? The the sure thing multifamily. What's the best buy in your mind right now for somebody looking to get into the market? Yeah, I mean, if if it depends on your goals, really, right? Because I mean, you could uh, if you're looking for something uh, with maybe a little bit more short term uptick, sort of five ten years, uh, get your money out, double it, kind of thing. You're probably still looking into these secondary and tertiary markets. And I know uh, Corey's kind of hammered this home quite a bit. But, you know, if you want something very stable, something stable with low vacancy rates, you may have already seen that uptick, but it's a really good long-term investment. You're not going to have to worry about a lot of vacancies with tenants turning over. Maybe you stay in more of the primary markets uh, like like a Vancouver. It's, it's hard to say exactly what to buy, but I think uh, industrial strata is a great buy. Now, the... Price per square foot is squarely uh, is fairly high to the owner occupier market, so it makes it a little bit harder to service the debt. But you can find a tenant right away, and it's not like the office market where you're having having to put in major inducements in terms of free rent, tenant improvement allowances. You can essentially sign the lease, give them the keys, and they start paying you rent. Uh, so that's a very carefree, hands off investment in this industrial strata. Last B. 
Class B industrial strata. There's Class your answer. B. Class, yeah. B. Class B. Class B. <laughs> Rod, before we let you go, we have our, our six pack of lighthearted questions here. And because you've been on the show so much, we've had to kind of change it up and throw the odd wrinkle question in there. Do you have a few more seconds for us? I sure do. The six pack is powered by our good friends over at Red Point Law. Red Point Law, Corey, Tim Falco, Scott, and the team. These are great people with a wealth of experience when it comes to commercial closings and private lending. And I just want to say, Corey, not to cut you off, they have a perfect five-star review on Google. So for all your commercial legal needs, visit them at redpointlaw.ca with offices in Vancouver and now open in downtown Kelowna. All right, Rod. First question up. Favorite restaurant or bar 2023 edition? Maybe you maybe you tried somewhere new this year. You want to make a recommendation? Um, this isn't somewhere new, but it just kind of popped into my mind as you said it. And as the weather is starting to get nicer, I think uh, I think I'd like to have some muscles out on the patio at Cardero's. Oh, so Ooh. when you say muscles, you mean like Matt showing up in a tank top, or do you mean like muscles yeah, like the seafood well, muscles? Yeah, yeah. If, if he if he can serve it, uh, yeah, yeah, that would that would work too. Uh, I got. I just got a visual of myself doing that. And that yeah, so roast me out. Topless, wearing an apron, maybe. I don't know. Well, that's vision A or vision B is me looking like a pear with no shirt on on a Peloton. Uh, all right, let's move on quickly. Uh, yeah. Book rec. Book recommendation. This one right now, actually, uh, it's a, another podcast I listen to. It's uh, is I think it's called The School of Greatness by Lewis Howes. And uh, yeah, he just interviews a lot of sort of top performing people in their various industries and sort of talks about how they got there and uh, what works for them. And so he's come out with a book called The Greatness Mindset, just sort of getting into it, probably, I don't know, close to 100 pages in, but uh, uh, some really good lessons to be learned there. So yeah, The Greatness Mindset by Lewis Howes would recommend. All right, Rod. Fantastic. Post-COVID office wear, suit and tie or a dress shirt and a sweater? I got to say, I, I, I'm going with dress shirt and a sweater. I think there's definitely a time and place for, for the suit. But I, I think we've seen a lot of, uh, we've, see, we've seen uh, attire change sort of post-COVID a bit. You know, you still definitely want to dress smart. But I think uh, I think uh, a lot of people do appreciate not the suit and tie every day. But there is still a time and a place. You know what is interesting? Uh, there was just an article, I think it came out yesterday in the New York Times, about Ken Sim and whether... The Chinese government influenced the election. And yeah. Kind of a ridiculous article. <laughs> but one thing they said about Ken Sim, and then they had kind of a photo spread of him in throughout this article, was the first time he ran, he ran as a suit and tie, he used to be an investment banker, yeah. yada, yada, yada. Now he's all Lululemon all the time. And yeah. all, every photo was hoodies, you know, nice hoodies, hoodies, uh, uh, running shoes. I, I think Ken is a guy to watch in terms of uh, fashion. In terms of fashion, fashion, I never, I didn't, I don't think I, I would have ever said that, but fashion forward in Vancouver. Well, it's funny. I was sitting at my desk today before I came up here and Rod, uh, as, as you mentioned, he had to go, uh, had to go to meet a, well, for a showing today. But he walks by my office and I thought he was going to his yacht. He had this nice, nice white and blue sweater on. He had the brown shoes. Like the guy was going right for the boat. Oh like, man. That, I'm well, like, that is the dress code now in 2023. <laughs> Well, we capitalized on the Bay Day sale. Uh, uh, there, highly there recommend that. I, I'm a spokesperson for them. I'll get I'll get a bit of a kickback for this. So the Hudson North is their new uh, brand, and uh, yeah, Bay Day sales—you can't go wrong there. And and Rod, <laughs> just for the listeners, like how much do you get off on a Bay Day sale? 
It was, oh man, so this it was fifty percent off plus an additional fifty percent off. So it's free. Mass. So, which, <laughs> it was fifty percent off. I, I couldn't afford not to. I think I had a hundred dollars in bay points, and I got well, like. Well, six hundred dollars worth of clothing. Well, I'll tell you this: not only are we solving the rental crisis today, I'm going to solve the Hudson Bay's <laughs> financial problem really quickly. Here. Yeah. If I'm given fifty yeah. percent off a sweater, from it's a hundred bucks, and now it's fifty bucks, and then you come to the tell me you another fifty bucks, fifty percent off. That's zero dollars. <laughs> so it's, it's, not only did we solve zero, the rent, yeah. we just solved Hudson's Bay's financial well, crisis. Well, the other thing uh, is not to go too hard on the Hudson's Bay. <laughs> Uh, but I've never been, I feel like I've said this on the show. I've never went to a store before where you find something you like, you look at the price and you go, all right, I'll pay that. And you walk up and they go, huh, 60% off. You're like, why? <laughs> you don't advertise that, but it's like, you're well, doing this yeah. backwards. I'll tell you right now, this is again, here we're solving it. We're just, we're just fixing the world here today. The gap. Okay. Remember when you go to the gap and they had the sweater for like 68 bucks yeah. and then it do on sale and it's like five bucks. Yeah. They train customers that it's not worth 68 bucks. So you would just simply just wait for all the clothes to go on sale right. and you'd buy it for five bucks, right? Like they're, they're training you that their quality of craftsmanship of a sweater is not worth full price. Well, so you just well, wait Corey, for the sales. Corey, Corey is being modest. I know he, he shops on a bit of a higher level. He's, uh, he's never, hasn't been to the Bay in the last decade. He's more of a Harry Rosen guy. <laughs> but he, uh, his, his, his saying is, I think you know, he'll come home with expensive shoes and this and that. And his wife's probably going, you've got 100 pairs of shoes. What do you need those for? And I think he says something along the lines of, it's not about what you spend. It's about what you save. Exactly. That's what I say all the <laughs> time. It's not how much it costs, how much do you save. But I will say, <laughs> I will say, just to defend myself, I also buy my stuff from Harry Rosen at 50% off. <laughs> They've also trained me not to wait to buy stuff on sale, not to pay full price. So, so we're, yeah. we're just solving the Canadian economics. Yeah, there you go. Economy here. <laughs> All right, Rod. Who is going to win the Stanley Cup? This is... Uh, we're mixing it up Yeah, today. this is one I've, I've never seen before. Oh, man. I, like, I don't know. Florida's out of control here. They beat Boston. They're uh, up three games to nothing on, uh, on the Leafs. I, I I think it's hard to bet against them. They got so much momentum. I didn't I didn't even I I didn't really pay too much attention uh, during the season, the regular season. But I always love watching playoff hockey, and and they're uh, I don't know they got so mo- so much momentum going right now. It would be pretty interesting to see Florida win. Uh, probably not the biggest hockey market, but I think uh, taking down the Bruins after a record-setting season would be pretty cool. And I think also a lot of those guys are are Canadian. Uh, hockey players. Well, yeah, nice and to not to, uh, but an indictment to uh, against the current Winnipeg Jets squad. Paul Maurice, the coach that yeah. left in, threw up his hands and left Winnipeg in disgust last year, is now the head coach of, now, of the that, team that is probably going to walk their now, way through the Stanley Cup. Now, it was his disgust. Like, was he done? Was it like weather wise? Because to go from Winnipeg and no, fall it was and up in Florida <laughs> almost seems rigged. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm a Jets fan, and it's tough to say, but man, there's there's something wrong in that dressing room. <laughs> well, hey, you know what? You're doing something right because we haven't gone to the playoffs over here, so yeah. we're, we're we're behind there. Maybe we'll get Connor Bedard today. We'll see. Yeah. All right, Rod. Uh, ne- next question up here. Uh, what's a TV show you're currently binge watching? Uh oh, what am I watching right now? Um. Well, it wasn't much because I was in bed so early with all this marathon training and whatnot. Uh, so we'd usually just throw on The Office. Uh, Office is our default show. I don't know. Everyone, I feel like, has a default show where they don't know what they want to watch. They throw on something. Uh, we just throw on The Office. It's pretty light and easy stuff. Uh, Did you see that so social just, media post where the character Dwight, I think that's the character's yeah. name. Oh, There's a guy yeah. on a plane 
And I guess he's got a mask on, so you can't. He's got a mask and like a hat on, so you can't really see. It's the Dwight guy, and yeah, this guy really, the actor. There. Yeah, the actor. And this guy, he kind of takes his camera and he, he kind of pans over to the guy next to him, and the guy's like thoroughly, intensely watching The Office on the plane. Yeah, and he doesn't realize he's sitting right next to Dwight. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, that's Rain Wilson, who uh, who also I think he was a recent guest on uh, the Lewis House podcast that I met. Oh my god! Um, oh well. So, okay. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, the yeah, office. Yeah. We can make a show of that. Future, future, future client uh, William Wright in front of the show. Yeah, we'll make a show of that. The office. <laughs> All right, Rod. Last question for you, and we'll let you get back to that inspection. Favorite band, twenty twenty three edition. Favorite band, twenty twenty three edition. I don't even know if I can answer this. I'll help you. Uh, Rod uh, likes Nickelback. Nickelback. No, I will say. I will say. We talk about this a lot, and uh, actually, Corey had his fortieth party a while back and we all kind of dressed up in you know either jean jackets and jeans or leather jackets that kind of thing it was a lot of fun um with nickelback i know a lot of i think a lot of people say they don't like nickelback just to say they don't like it have you listened to like the top like 10 greatest hits those songs are bangers you play you play when the sun's shining you're you're, you're going on a road trip tell me tell me you're not having a good time i think the majority of people that say they hate nickelback actually love Nickelback secretly. They're, they're closeted Nickelback fans. And that's, that's all I'll say. Well, here, I, here's I do, the one thing I'll, I'll direct everyone who wants to say that the Nickelback's not very popular. Go on to Ticketmaster right now and try to find a ticket for the Vancouver show. I'll tell you right now, you can't. because There you go. Out. There you <laughs> go. Sold out. Now, Chad Kroger might have bought all the tickets. We don't know. But yeah, as of right but, now, you can't find a ticket. Yeah, I think you're getting a lot of, uh, you're probably getting quite a bit of uh, suburban um Commuting to that concert would be my guess. But, hey, I'll tell you uh, right now, it doesn't matter if they come from Chilliwack, Kelowna, or Vancouver. They're all paying the same ticket price to put their butt in the seat there. Yeah. So what is that? Is that what I get for being on the show today? I get a, a ticket to the Nickelback show? Or? No, we're going to give you a Nickelback T-shirt that you can wear around the <laughs> office. T-shirt. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Rod, how can people find out on. more about what you're doing at uh, at William Wright uh, Commercial in Vancouver? Yeah, I uh, I always enjoy a phone call. Um, if someone wants to chat, uh, emails, uh, are a little bit less personal. It's always nice to start chatting with the person, getting to know them a bit. Uh, so call me on my cell, 604-763-5510. Uh, yeah, you can take a look at our listings at williamwright.ca. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, and good luck with that, uh, with getting subjects off that, that, uh, property on Hastings. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. looks like they're all done. They left here now, so I'm keeping an eye on the door, but, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks. Uh, thanks a lot for having me on again, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Rod. Take care, and we'll see you back at the office. Yeah, see ya. Bye-bye. There you have it, folks. Our interview with Rod McKay from our William Wright Vancouver office. Great insight again. Like He's one on, of the best. On the, one of the best. You were saying before, one of the highest-rated podcasts we've had from a listenership on the Dallas Stream side of it has been Rod's top five episode he does. Yeah, every you know year. what? It it's uh it, it performs both in the download space and on the website. I think more people go to uh, the talk with Rod McKay about the five best investment areas in BC than almost any other page. But which is saying why. something because I feel like I've put blood, sweat, and tears into this for over eight years and you know, yeah. you guys waltz in and steal the show. Well, just and just for the listeners, just when we're talking about like top rated shows, we're we're talking like what, 10, 20 million downloads per, for that episode? Yeah. Like, 30 million, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> Population of Canada's downloaded it pretty much at this point. Basically. Basically. <laughs>
<laughs> what else do we have for the day? Corey, how can people find out more about what you're doing over at William Wright uh, Commercial? They can send me an email anytime, Corey at WilliamWright.ca. They can call our Vancouver office, tell us what they're looking for. We'll put you in touch with the best agent throughout the province. Best service to your assets at 604-428-5255. Or they can visit our website, WilliamWright.ca. Sign up for the latest and greatest news. And speaking of uh, websites, all these episodes do live at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. As a lot of you know, because a lot of you are heading over to Rod McKay's yeah. page to get the download on those five investment areas, but that's VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And uh, of course, we'll be back next week. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Take care. Subscribe today.